Morning. Uh, it was back in uh, the early 1980s, and uh, our church was located in a little building down here between the library and the elementary school. And uh, one, of, one of the things I had to do was replace light bulbs in the building. We had a bunch of four-foot fluorescent tubes around the building, and I got tired of running all the way to Auburn to get a fluorescent tube for that. So I, I saw this advertisement about this light, lighting company in Chicago, and I thought, I'm going to call them up to see if I can get a good deal and just get a whole box of those things. So I called them, and this guy was Mr. Personality. And he, he was a good salesman. They hired the right guy to sell light bulbs from this company in Chicago. He called himself the light bulb guy, and he had this accent, you know, like he's from New Jersey or something. And uh, he did a really good job selling me on these four-foot tubes, and the price seemed right to me, so I agreed to, uh, to order them. And uh, then he told me, he said, listen, Reverend Deal, he says, because you're trusting us and you're working with our company to provide your lighting needs, we're going to send free, give to you free of charge this emergency lighting system so your church will never again be caught in the dark because the power went out. And I thought, that's really cool. That's really good. So about two weeks later, this box of four-foot fluorescent tubes comes and along with it, came the emergency lighting system. And it did not even have batteries in it. So I know what deception is. Most probably, if you would stop and think about it, you also know what deception is. You see, you learn about deception by getting deceived, right? Somebody pulls a fast one on you, and that's how you learn about deception. Right now, if you were one of those, if you were able to travel the globe, you know, if we didn't have this COVID limitations, uh, you could go to the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. It's a religious citadel up on a high hill, and a lot of people go there, and there's a lot of statues. And uh, tourists from all over the world would go there before COVID, and will again when we finally get beyond that. And uh, most of them would pick up a marble chip. Bring it home with them from the ground, thinking that they were bringing home a piece of authentic history. After all these centuries of tourists going to Athens, picking up marble chips, how do they keep marble chips on the ground? I'll tell you how. Every couple months, they pick up a load of chips from a nearby quarry and bring it to Athens and spread them around. <laughs> Some of you aren't smiling. It's like, I've been deceived. <laughs> if you've been to Athens, you probably brought back a, de- a piece of deception, a piece of deceived history. Well, obviously, we're going to talk today about deception. We're going to talk about deceived faith because there are a lot of people that have faith. They're just deceived in it. I think we live in a world, we live in a country that thinks it's Christian, but we've been deceived into thinking Christianity is just a culture rather than a whole new way of life. And so we're frustrated because we don't see those miracles anymore. God never answers prayer anymore. 
It's because we've been deceived. We don't know how to get our prayers answered. We don't even know how to pray. We don't know how to relate to a God, but we do know how to go to church on Sunday. And we think that is Christianity. That's that's what separates our culture from theirs. No, no, no. It's much more than that. And I want to look at a story from the Gospel of John that you're probably familiar with. It's Jesus encountering the woman at the well. This woman at the well was a religious woman. She had faith. But Jesus surprised her in saying some things she knew nothing about. So let's, uh, let's start here in verse 4 of chapter 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. That's important. I'll come back and unpack that in a minute. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So here's the first thing I want us to see. There are some things that are imperative. Jesus must go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Not really. He could have done what all the other righteous Jews did and cross over the Jordan River to Gentile territory and then go up and over. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There were other routes he could take. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because there's some deceived religious people up there that think they have the answers that really don't. And he's coming to clarify some things. And he can't do that if he runs away from his very target. Neither can the church grow and accomplish what God has called us to do if we try to hide away from the sinners. If we try to get away from people from other religions. If we try to huddle ourselves in here and say, now this is where it's safe. Jesus didn't call us to safety. As a matter of fact, he says when people cry out, ah, peace and safety, that's when the enemy is just about to strike. He had to go through Samaria. And there are some things that you and I have to do. There's some things that are very painful and uncomfortable that we have to go through. It's imperative that you die to yourself before Jesus can rise up in you. It's imperative that you and I go through crises. It's imperative that you and I go through times where we lose a bit of ourselves, where we're so frustrated and exasperated that we don't see an answer. Because that's when Jesus is developing something deep down inside of us. This spring, you can plant your garden by going out and just throwing seeds on the top. But if you want a good harvest, you got to tear that soil up. You got to rip it up. And once you ripped it up and you got it all softened and nice, ready to go, then you can plant the seed. It doesn't have to go very deep, but it's got to be buried. It's got to be buried. And if you and I want to be what Jesus called us to do, we have to be buried. The old me has to die And Jesus has to be buried deep inside of me, not just alongside of me, inside of me. So some things are imperative. Here's the second thing I want us to see from this story, and I'm going to read this from verses 7, 8, and 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You see, Jesus had called the Jews to be a lighthouse witness to the rest of the world. But they didn't. They just huddled together in their own country that God had given them, and they did not export the faith. That's the problem. It's the same problem that's inherent within each of us Christians. We tend to want to say, aren't we great? We go to New Hope Christian Center. They got great worship. But we don't export what we receive. We, We soak it in, but we don't spread it out. God help us to do that. Second, second thing I want us to see is Jesus was countercultural. It was a no-no for a good, righteous Jew like Jesus to associate with Samaritans. And not only that, but he was a Jewish man. And it was a no-no for a man to consult with a woman if he wasn't married to her. Not only that, but Jesus had a pretty clean moral life. And it's obvious as we read on through the story, she did not. So there are cultural reasons why Jesus shouldn't be talking to her. But he knew he had to go through Samaria. He had to go to that well. He had to deal with people like this woman. And if you and I want to let our light shine, we got to do more than talk about Jesus with the people that we're safe with here inside the house. The real need is out there. That's where the real need is, unless people in here are deceived. Then there's a need in here. Somebody say amen. amen. See, he was countercultural. He didn't get stuck on the cultural thing. We have to be careful we don't get stuck on the cultural thing. I remember some years ago when we were doing one of our missions emphasis weekends that uh, we, had a, we had just invested some money in Rev C in Vietnam. And so every time we would invest money in a new country, we would put the national flag of that country up here. And there was a Vietnamese flag up there. And we announced what what it was for, what we did. And we put that flag up there. And there was this older lady who was here. She wasn't a part of our church. I don't know why she came. She was irate that we would put our enemy's flag on the platform. She didn't get it. We weren't honoring the country or the government. We were honoring the people and the investment we made in people. And lost people were in Vietnam. And we were trying to reach out to them. And she didn't get it. And I think sometimes we get stuck that way in the church. We focus on us. Aren't we really great? And we forget our greatness is in Jesus, not in us. And we need to take that greatness that's in Jesus and export it out here to a lost world. And if we do that, and we reach lost people, and they come in here, they're going to bring a mess with them. How many know that? I know that because some of you were a mess when you started coming. But the grace of God moved in your life and changed you. Slowly, but surely, changed you. Still working on me. You see, sometimes we take this cultural aspect and we we shift it over to... uh, Spiritual things. For example, Islam, as a religion, attempts to appease an angry God. 
As a matter of fact, come to think about it, that's where most religions are. They're trying to appease an angry God so he won't be mad. But we appeal to a loving God. Altogether different. A whole other strategy. A whole other appeal. And this, this is the good news. Maybe you didn't know this, but let me inform you. There is a move of God in Muslim countries. Because Islam gives them no hope. No hope. Christianity gives them hope. Right now, in this lifetime, gives them hope. And people in Islam countries and cultures are coming to Christ. That is good news. What if those Christians had said, well, you're the the enemy. We're not going to have anything to do with you. There would not be a movement. I'm I'm thankful that God's doing some great things. Jesus was countercultural. I want to encourage you to be countercultural. Quit running away from people that scare us. They're the very ones that need Jesus. Yes. Don't be afraid to talk to those people. Here's the third part I want us to see in verses 10 through 13. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. Jump to verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You think maybe Jesus knew he was talking over her head. You think maybe Jesus knew she wasn't understanding? Living water, what is living water? He's using terms she can't associate with. If you drink some of this living water, there's going to be satisfaction and you'll never thirst again. He says that to a woman getting water out of a well. He's trying to communicate in terms that she'll understand. But he knows she's She doesn't understand. There's no way she gets this. So the third thing I want us to see from this story is Jesus talks in riddles. Always tells parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. And then he gives some natural story. But he doesn't always connect it with the way it works. He doesn't always teach people. He gives us just bits and pieces. And then... What his disciples did is they wrote those bits and pieces down in this Bible so that you and I could come back in the year 2021 when people aren't very spiritual and we could read the Bible and we could put two and two together. He talks in riddles, but if we seek, he will find. Seek and you shall find. That's a promise, Jesus said. It's a key to interpreting the Bible. We have to read between the lines. What's Jesus saying to us? He wants to, he wants to empower us and inspire us to be missionaries in this lost world. He talks in riddles. Now, fourth thing I want us to see. And so, oh, I've got six of these, so we're doing good. Here's number four. She was slowly awakened. It was a slow awakening. Look at verse 20. Is it verse 20 I'm looking at? Nope, verse 19. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshipped on, uh, I'm not going to read that. I can see your prophet. That's what I want us to see. I can see your prophet. She didn't know what the prophet was saying, but she could perceive. You know what a prophet is? A prophet's simply one that speaks the words of God. That's all a prophet is. A prophet isn't some big, famous, uh, highfalutin person. It's just someone that is in tune with God, hears what God says, and relays the message. It can be somebody as ordinary as you. Just hear from God and pass it on. Hear from God, pass it on. She was slowly awakened. I've got good news for you. There is a slow awakening going on in this world. There's a world that's been asleep to spiritual things for a long time. We've allowed television to numb us to the fact that there is a power beyond the natural. We can tap into it. You can tap into it. It's a slow awakening. Every now and then we have a visitation from God or an encounter with God and it wakes us up quick. But isn't it true that about two days into the next week, we're right back where we were? I need another encounter. I'm constantly pursuing another word from God, another encounter from God. I'm constantly looking for it. But maybe we're looking in the wrong place for this encounter. Maybe the encounter is within me and not within some place or from some famous person. Maybe it's an internal thing within me that I need to get things right with God. And he begins then speaking to me. Slowly awakening. There, there is a, a movement. Maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you're not. But there is a movement right now in our country that's called woke. It's basically a term used by liberals. That talking about we we are a, a, a we have awakened though they, they use the word woke, we are woke with the fact that the world is corrupt, our country's corrupt, our government's corrupt, and we're going to fix it. Woke, I have awakened to that fact. I think there's some Republicans that are awakened as well. Woke, I look around, I read the newspapers, I hear what they're saying on the news media, and I don't like what I see. Who can make this place better? Doesn't make anything better just to shut it off, not listen to it anymore. The world's still corrupt. How can you and I make a difference? I think we need to get woke ourselves. We need to be awakened to some spiritual things behind the scenes. She was slowly awakened. Here's number five, verses 20 through 24. Our ancestors, this is what the woman says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we, we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. 
For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus has got her attention. She recognizes he's a prophet, so he gives her something even deeper. We have to worship in the spirit. The culture of how you worship is not the point. Whether we sing country music, whether we sing contemporary songs, whether we sing old hymns, doesn't matter. It's that our spirit is awakened, that we are connecting with God on the, deep down inside of us. That's what's important. That's what's crucial. So the fifth point I want us to see here is faith can be perverted. You can have faith and it be a perverted faith. Because we're, uh, we're political people, I don't want to get into politics, but let me talk a little bit about the American church being perverted. I got three examples, and this just came out of my head. We could add a whole lot more, but here's, here's a democratic faith. And by that, I'm not talking about the Democratic Party. I'm talking about a faith that votes, a faith that expresses you know, majority rules. The majority might rule and be wrong, you know. The question is, what is God thinking? Yes. What is God's will? Yes. That's, that's what's important. Amen. Second kind of faith that can be perverted is what I call Sunday faith. We go to church on Sunday. We have great experience. We get our emotions stirred, worshiping God. It's a wonderful time. Tomorrow morning's Monday. We go back to work and forget all about what we did on Sunday morning. And so our faith doesn't work in the workplace. It only works in the church. Do we see that modeled by Jesus? Uh, he did see miracles in the temple. Yes. He did see miracles in the temple. But if you go through and read the Gospels, you see most of it took place out there. Yes. Out there. If you want to see a miracle, stop focusing in here. Start focusing out there. Yes, amen. That's where we're going to see breakthroughs. Here's a third example, and you won't like this. Constipated faith. <laughs> Constipated faith receives, 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 and just holds it in. Doesn't export anything just takes it in. I call that constipated faith, and you can forget I said that. Come up with your own word. You know what I'm talking about. Bound up. There's got to be a flow of the Spirit into us and out of us. There's got to be a give and take, an ebb and flow. There has got to be giving and receiving. There's got to be this, this, this outward flow from us as well. If we want to receive from God, we have to find a place to sow seed. If I want a harvest of tomatoes in my vegetable garden, I've got to plant some seed. Come on. So faith can be perverted. And as I say, make that statement, you can probably run in your mind with some, some examples you've seen yourself of somebody having faith, but it's been perverted. It's not really what God intended. Here's number six. And uh, this one is not from our story, but I'm going to add on. Uh, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Did you know that? 
lot of preachers don't want to tell you that. They'd rather tell you how wonderful your life's going to be. God's got such a wonderful plan for your life. And that's true. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, I think we have it up on the screen, says, Simon, Simon, Jesus is speaking, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Did you get the prediction? Satan wants to sift you and all the other disciples like wheat. You know how you sift wheat? You run it through a sifter. You force out just the dust. You keep all the debris above. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Did you know that? You should know that. I mean, most of us have been Christians for more than a day. You should know because you've been sifted like wheat. Satan has run you through a ringer. Satan is trying to to uh, take all the good out of you. He wants to sift you like wheat, all of you. But Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus said, while Satan's sifting you, I'm praying for you. And what's he praying? That you don't lose your faith through this trial. That you don't give up your, your trust in God in the trial while you're going through the sifter. That you don't lose anything. And when... You turn back. Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. After you've been through the sifter, after Satan has wrung your neck, after Satan's tried to destroy you, after he's cleaned your clock, however you want to say it, after he's finished working on you, and he will, he will back off for a season. It won't go on forever. But after he has sifted you, and you turn back, then... Strengthen somebody else. Yes. Strengthen somebody else. Good work, Here's number seven. Here's my last one. And I got four minutes to do it. Good. Right on time. Number seven. God works things together. Did you know that? He works things together. Romans 8.28 says it like this. This is my favorite verse. And we know, we're supposed to know this. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is always working for the good. Do you believe that? Then why do we get so frustrated when God starts working things for the good? Because the only way good comes on planet earth is when there's a resurrection. And the only way there can be a resurrection is if there's a death first. So he tries to set us up with death experiences. And we go through these death experiences. And and we get so hurt and so painful. But we say we believe God works all things together for good. If we do believe God works all things together for good, why do we get so frustrated? And I'm, I'm asking myself the question. Because I'm just as frustrated as you are. I like this cultural idea of Christianity. Where if I just give my life to Jesus, he comes alongside and I start winning all my battles. Wouldn't that be great? But I have to confess to you, that's not my experience. Every battle I have to fight, I win the hard way, not the easy way. Isn't that your experience? 
But this is good news. Don't question God when he's at work. Don't question God when he's at work in your life. Just stop that. Make a note. Put that on your refrigerator to remind you. Don't question God when he's at work in your life. Here's the question to ask. God, what am I missing? What am I missing? That's a good question. That's a valid question. That's a good question to ask from God because he knows we're missing it. I mean, you think God doesn't know what's going on inside our head? He knows. But he's a good God and he's got good plans for us. There's good things he wants. He knows our life. He knows our beginning and he knows our end. We, we can barely remember the beginning. But God's got it all figured out. Yes. So what am I missing? So when I ask this question in the house and for those people watching from the unity hall or from your, the comfort of your home, when I ask this question, are you missing something? So if you are going through something in your life right now that's caused you great confusion and you, you'd like to see the hand of God, but you just don't see it right now, and you'd like to ask him the question, Lord, what am I missing? Would you stand where you are? Nobody needs to know what you're going through, but you're going through something, and you need to ask the question, what am I missing? Yeah, that's okay. Nothing wrong with asking that question. Because if you ask him, he just might show you. Those of you that are watching online, there's an opportunity for you to say, what am I missing? Just click on that link. What am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? I believe he's going to show us what that missing connection is. Heavenly Father, I want to pray right now for my brothers and sisters that are standing. Lord, I pray for those that are at home. Clicked on the link. What am I missing? God, would you show us? Would you show us what it is we're not seeing as we go through this this crisis? Would you show us what's missing in our understanding? Would you reveal something to us to give us hope, Father? Because we're so, some, some of us in this room are so disheartened and disillusioned right now because we thought we understood the truth, but it's not working out that way. I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you would just reveal what it is we're missing. Lord, sometime this afternoon or sometime this next week, would you show us what what we don't see right now? Show us what it is we're missing. Help us to see the armies behind the scenes that we can't see. Help us to see what you're trying to accomplish that we can't see you're trying to accomplish. And Lord, help us to not be frustrated with you, but to always see you as a God of amazing grace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.